Thinkers, how's everybody doing this week? Well, welcome back to another episode of the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me for this episode is the Free Thought Project editor in chief, Matt Agarist. So, we actually have two guests this week. One is Officer Jody, who we had on the podcast back in 2020, and the other is a guest that Officer Jody actually set up for us after connecting with him and realizing just how important his work is. The man who I'm speaking about is Johan Drollshagen. Johan is a web developer, a cloud architect, and a software engineer. He has also dedicated himself to creating the infrastructure necessary for a national utilization of the Brady List. The Brady List is a definitive, public-facing database of information about police misconduct, public complaints, use of force reports, and more nefarious deeds by law enforcement employees. This list is so incredibly important because there is currently no national database that documents or tracks officers with a history of violence, misconduct, or abuse of authority. Welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast, Jody. We last had you on in August of 2020, I believe. But today you bring a special guest with you who we're very excited to speak with, someone who actually shares a common goal as myself. When I first started my journey into the police accountability world back in 2012, I realized there was a profound lack of a national database cataloging police violence, police misconduct, police abuse of authority. And that's actually the basis of what motivated me to start Police the Police 10 years ago now. So throughout the past 10 years, I've repeatedly heard about a list that documents police officers who violated their oath and or have been involved with undesirable conduct. That list is called the Brady List. And about two weeks ago, Officer Jody actually surprised us with a little treat. Not only had she met the person behind the Brady List, but she also somehow convinced him to come on our podcast with us to talk about it. So our guest this week joining Officer Jody is Johan Drollschogen. And uh, I suppose the first question we should ask is, have you actually ascertained any sensible or logical reason why no federal agencies actually track these important details? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, it's a good question. And, and obviously with the Open Government Initiative from 2009 uh, that was signed then by President Obama, which was a follow-on to the Open Government Act of uh, uh, President Bush the Younger, as well as multiple directives coming straight out of the DOJ to every single law enforcement organization in the country, uh, there is absolutely no reason that uh, uh, any federal agency or state or local agency doesn't comply. It's an absolute requirement 
except for one minor detail, which is that Brady's actually an obligation on prosecutors, not on the agencies themselves. The, the directives from the DOJ are obligatory upon the agencies. Um, however, Brady itself is actually obligatory upon the prosecutors. So it's like the it's the prosecutors have to go back and they're responsible for the ones finding this information, not the the I guess the public at large. They're not they're not the ones that are able to access this. And that's what the Brady list does. Right. Well, sort of. That, that's definitely what we do. One of the things you have to understand about the Brady list, though, is uh, Brady itself, the decision from Brady v. Maryland, actually has nothing to do with law enforcement. It has to do with evidence. It's all about evidence. And it, it, the Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS, uh, recognized in crystal clear language that the the sides the adversarial system that we have in criminal courts is entirely lopsided all the power all the funding all the well just power is the best word for it is on behalf of the courts and it's on behalf of the prosecutors and it's on behalf of law enforcement and with uh with the understanding from scotus that this is an incredibly unequal relationship scotus stepped up and did very much the right thing which was created the obligations to maintain fair trials and therefore created the obligation to disseminate uh, any information on all individuals upon whose testimony will be relied and that's where we then have later cases like Giglio um, and Abel, which is very timely and important right now with everything that's going on in California, uh, as well as Chicago and D.C. and Baltimore and all these other places, uh, that uh, the Brady must be ab abided. And if you look at the Brady list, different people will attach to it for different reasons and from different angles. Uh, the reason and, and the motivation behind my building it was actually that it was a proactive evidentiary disclosure platform. So there's there's also been some cases more recently with SCOTUS, which is that anything that uh, would be discoverable under FOIA or state sunshine laws must, must be disclosed as soon as it's available. And this takes, uh, I think it hits a pain point for a lot of prosecutors, which is when we started looking as to what it would take for an office, uh, for a prosecutor to go collect the necessary information that they would classify as an investigation on all of the officers that were involved in a, in a certain incident uh, uh, that resulted in criminal charges to a defendant, um, that prosecutor was supposed to go collect all that information and disclose it. And that process of that investigation is actually very cumbersome. Um, we're, we're talking easily 18, 20 human hours just for a simple misdemeanor. And the answer from that 2009 Open Government Initiative is that if this information was gathered and put into a system uh, proactively, that it could actually be acquired with a click of a button. And then, uh, and, and some people, law enforcement in particular, will have issue with me on whether or not this, this database should be public which is is actually it's not even a question for law enforcement because this is not a due process issue this is not a personnel records issue um, the courts have essentially been crushed under their own weight and demand uh, for their services and they've started implementing um, expedited protocols and most people don't realize that more than 50 percent of the cases that are considered criminal are actually included as um, infractions, traffic, family law, 
uh, some immigration, and all of those are required to have these disclosures. But these expedited protocols have actually eliminated the obligation of the state to provide representation. So this, these individuals are pro se or pro per, and these disclosures must still be happening. So the court is very aware that with these expedited protocols, this information has to be disclosed. It's one of the reasons that if you get, for example, a, uh, a red light ticket, that they actually include the information on the camera in that that communication that you'll get because that's a Brady disclosure. They need to be able to do this for all of these other formats of cases, which again, make up more than 50% of the cases in the criminal court system. Right. And as you said, like, it's not necessarily public. And, um, you know, I guess some people could argue for privacy reasons, you know, that it, it shouldn't be public, but it should still be available to prosecutors. But haven't there been uh, instances where, some like in uh, in L.A. Sheriff's Department, for example, I believe in 2017, they tried to block the entire access to this. Right. Where. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. They rather successfully. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the implications for that are, are are terrible. Like someone goes to prison and gets arrested by a cop with a history of framing people for drugs, for instance. Maybe they had all these you know previous charges on their their record and the prosecutors, they that, you know, they have no access to that information, right? That's the, that's the, yeah, so, so they, what they did and, and you're probably referring to like a pitches motion, for example, which is where you actually have to do a re request for a, uh, uh, what's called a PRR. It's a, a personal records request. And they, let's be clear on who they is, because this is a very clear, we need to define this line so that people don't think we're talking about law enforcement officers themselves. This isn't about good apples and bad apples. This is, this is law enforcement unions alleging to represent the interests of their members, but what they're actually doing is affecting uh, definitions and evidentiary standards of what is available and what is disclosed in court. And it's wholly inappropriate. And, uh, and it's being rolled back now, even to, I think the greatest is extreme is that New York state is actually, uh, and, and I apologize, I don't have the statute off the top of my head, but they've actually made the, the prosecutorial misconduct uh, a criminal act uh, for failing to disclose uh, what they should disclose under Brady when it happens at scale. And we've had cases in California. We recently had a case called People v. Hauser, uh, which which just went through the California State Supreme Court, although unfortunately the California S Supreme Court decided not to publish the opinion. The case was already won. It was just that they didn't want the opinion released. And the opinion says that if you're a defendant in court and the prosecutor fails to automatically disclose, you can actually have the case dismissed at that time, uh, basically immediately for failure to prosecute or failure to proceed. Now, this also changes what's going on, and, and this is going on right now in Los Angeles County as well, as we're disclosing that we have a lot of gangs in our Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Um, in the event that this information could have, would have, or should have been identified by a prosecutor, 
and it was not disclosed by a prosecutor, that makes it prosecutorial misconduct. Any wrongful convictions that result from prosecutorial misconduct no longer need to go back just for a new trial. They can actually be immediately dismissed. And we're going to watch this burn down Hennepin County here very soon because we've actually caught, uh, not we, new uh reporters and, and journalists have actually caught Minneapolis PD post Derek Chauvin's conviction of killing George Floyd of not actually maintaining any sort of list or data or information on this. And the Hennepin County uh, prosecuting attorney uh, doubled down and admitted to not maintaining or disclosing any information in any cases in Hennepin County. Um, and, and this is going back for decades. So yeah, it's 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 wild, man, that that happens. And all these departments actually do keep their own internal records of this, but they just don't share it. And they, what's even more wild is they don't even share it between departments. And, and this leads to what we call the Free Thought Project gypsy cops, you know? Yeah, so you'll have gypsy a, cops or wandering cops. Absolutely. Right, right. Want, yeah. And they'll have repeat violations at one department and they'll like, well, the, it'll get them fired and even maybe have, you know, a, a misdemeanor charge on their account in relation to that firing and yet they'll go to the next county and that that previous department won't even share their records with the with the hiring department so this person gets hired on i mean we've we've reported on people like this for uh, almost a decade now you know where they've they should not have had a badge and a gun and they go on through like six seven eight sometimes nine or ten departments you know before they end up killing some unarmed person and it's finally their record comes out through background you know background checks and all this but it's a it's a massive problem, man. That this uh, yeah. and yeah, like like you said, the Brady list is not necessarily that database. It's just to to help defendants out. But uh, you know, it it all it's the hand and glove thing there. <clears throat> well, you hit on two points which are really important, and uh, one of which is the the Brady list as it stands is actually the largest of its kind. It's actually larger than what's called the NDI, which is the National Decertification Index, and I'll talk about that second. Um, the first thing is, and, and I know that there are going to be attorneys out there that will listen to this and go, you know, Johan doesn't know what he's talking about with the directives from the DOJ based on having to proactively disclose this, but there is a precedent for this specifically to this, uh, let's call it market segment. And as in 2002, the Department of Justice actually dictated to uh, all law enforcement agencies across the country that uh, background checks, instead of the status quo, which was background checks were done on all new hires, in 2002, they went out and uh, said, you have to do background checks on every single employee all the time, and they have to be compelled to disclose in the event that there's something that's either duty adjacent or off-duty that is relevant. And between 2002 and 2004, when those were done nationwide, like Texas lost 13 sheriffs, right? Boom, right like that, because they had been convicted of something historically, the information hadn't come out. And only after the DOJ stepped in and actually mandated that investigation uh, was this found. And it affected everything nationwide, but, but Texas obviously took the biggest hit. Now, the other part that you talked about in terms of running background checks, and, and this is important because the current administration just did a, uh, uh, an executive order mandating a, a database be maintained of this type of thing nationwide. The problem is that's the database called the National Decertification Index. It's supposed to be for, for background checks for employment, and it's maintained by a group called IDLEST, which is the International Association of Directors of Law Enforcement Standards and Training, and they're out of uh, Boise, Idaho. The, the biggest problem with this is, one, that database is voluntary, believe it or not, and two, which 
by the way, the, the, the largest of the uh, law enforcement organizations do not participate. And two, uh, the, uh, the, the database is private. So it's actually a, a, a paid access. So it doesn't satisfy Brady. It doesn't help anybody that's pro se or pro per. It's simply, uh, it's simply for sort of a background check kind of thing. And it's completely ineffective. Like we've we've seen we've seen major you know well known documented journalism has caught individuals with body cam and whatever else that go somewhere else get a job, and it didn't matter that somebody checked the NDI because the NDI didn't have everybody actually participate. And the other side of that same equation, which is what, which was actually one of the things we were trying to solve at the beginning, which the the federal government under the DOJ. Um, used to have a system that it, they actually updated and relaunched a secondary system called the NIBRS system, which uh, categorized, it captured and categorized all of the use of force data. Uh, so any anytime there was a use of force, you'd, you'd have to fill out the report, multiple officers, multiple agencies, a little bit, and would get forwarded to the DOJ, at least for statistical information. So our platform, the Brady List, was meant to do the same thing, capture that in a in a much better format than the uh, federal database had. And then we were going to pass that through what's called an endpoint uh, to the DOJ, except that our information actually had a lot to do, has all the identifying information of the officer's name and, and image. So they didn't want that information. So they actually shut down the NIBRS system. And currently we do not have a, uh, uh, a use of force database, um, at, at least not at the national level. Uh, and that NDI is just not getting any better. Johan, how long have you been doing this for, this type of work? Oh, this type of work? Well, let's define the type of work. Um, I, I accidentally became a member of the bar in Washington State in 2009. And I've been a software engineer for about, for about the same amount of time. Uh, I, was, I was into tech deeper before that. And uh, then the way this one actually came about was in 2019, I was invited to sit on a task force for the California State Bar called ATILS, which stood for Access Through Innovation of Legal Services. They wanted to, obviously this was a directive of the California State Supreme Court. They wanted to keep it with regard to civil uh, courts. I wasn't really having that. So when they started uh, working on definitions for the practice of law and making considerations for the uh, uh, administration of the courts, I pretty much forced the issue that it needed to include the different types of courts, most specifically criminal. And that's when the uh, the uh, uh, SB 1421 and subsequently SB 2 and 16 passed in California, which made uh, public complaints, uh, records of misconduct and use of force uh, part of the mandated sunshine law disclosures, uh, which again, didn't fully satisfy uh, Brady, but it was moving in that, in that direction. Um, and then the challenge, of course, while I was playing with at tills and looking at things like machine learning and artificial intelligence for the for the purposes of, of trying to make the the courts move a little more efficiently um, that's when those uh, were signed into law and then we had the challenge of if only in California we uh, 
we had 700 different law enforcement organizations. We had a couple hundred prosecutors' offices plus a post department. The question was, how does the Brady List, which most people don't realize is actually software, not just a list, um, how are all of those organizations going to independently enter their information into the system and have it uh, uh, all compiled and sorted by jurisdiction and that type of thing? That doesn't sound like something government specifically excels at. Actually, so, they're really good at it. Uh, they do it on the sex offender list. They do it on the gang member list. They do it on all sorts of lists. They just don't do it on themselves. <laughs> so seeing you've been in this world for a while now, in your opinion, like where does this lack of action stem from? I mean, you, you just mentioned that sometimes doesn't satisfy the Brady list. What is the courts? It's hands down the courts. And this is, you know, and this is a really important message that that I hope gets out there, right? This is not, it's really not about law enforcement. Like, this is not me out there saying law enforcement needs to be more accountable. Yes, law enforcement does need to be more accountable. I agree with that statement. Uh, but the problem is, as we found, is that when when a task like this takes 20 hours, the prosecutors just aren't doing it. And the prosecutors aren't doing it because the courts aren't holding the prosecutors accountable. And the prosecutors then subsequently aren't holding law enforcement accountable. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's a it's a very top down thing. It's got to come from the courts. And and believe it or not, and most people won't get this when they look at the, the Brady list, but it's really important for the legislators to know, the AG to know, the governors to know, and the people to know that this has a lot to do with qualified immunity. So the, the challenge with qualified immunity separate from the accountability is that it actually pushes the financial burden on all of these civil rights violations and wrongful uses of force and everything else, it actually pushes those into a settlement that's pushed on the community. So the, the property owners and the taxpayers are paying that bill. It's not coming out of the uh, the budgets for law enforcement. So one of the functions that the Brady list does that is not readily available or you can't see it in the front is it actually works like a credit reporting agency hmm. so that it can actually demonstrate probability issues on which it, which officers have historically and will therefore more likely result in judgments against whatever the, the jurisdiction is. And, and we have a big problem with consolidation of, of law enforcement organizations. We have a lot of counties where the county actually, uh, even though it may not be in name, the county sheriff's office is also staffing uh, municipal uh, police departments as well as tribal police departments and you'll have one officer that's that's wearing multiple badges and, and multiple uh, things and, and they're combining them into the sheriff's department only because there's a larger tax base to to pay the fines and fees and settlements and, and debt management as opposed to these these small communities. So one of the things we do is we have the ability to to rate and grade and, and apply a score to a, to an individual officer, but we can also compare that score against the agency score and against the jurisdiction score and against the county score and the state score and then the federal score. So we can see these larger problems as they're growing and we can take direct action. And again, I can't emphasize this enough, support the, the good officers by empowering the leadership to limit their liability. And this is something else that the law enforcement unions have eliminated. You can have plenty of good officers. And they look around and go, we can't get rid of a bad officer. 
So, yeah. so that bad officer sticks around and sticks around and sticks around and, you know, more claims and more judgments and more settlements and, and everything else. And then, and at the end of the day, you even have these, these post departments, uh, which most of which are, are fantastic, but they're, they're, they're under the influence of these unions where they come in and say, okay, this officer is going to agree to resign and go quietly as long as you don't put them on the Brady list or don't you know, maintain a record of the misconduct and then boom, you've just created another gypsy cop. Yeah, that's terrible. I mean, but that's a great tool for like insurance companies who could just look at the the liability of, right. of this department, you know, the fact that they're keeping it. Insurance companies should be demanding that, you know, and especially city government should be demanding that too. If they're the ones going to be, you know, the taxpayers putting that put are going to have to foot the bill, you know, be held responsible for the crimes committed by these cops who shouldn't have badges. You know, that's a, it's a huge tool. And the fact that it doesn't exist just speaks to the corruption that's out there. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And back to your point about uh, how this is all basically a big problem in the court system. How do like the grassroots um, projects like the Marshall project? Um, there's another one at Bowling Green university called, I think it's like the Henry Wallace police uh, misconduct database. There's uh, there's several grassroots organizations been documenting um, police misconduct for some time now with their own databases, uh, but it's I guess it's all based on public information. Um, how does that is that are, are you familiar with any of these for one? And then how does that uh, you know help uh, along with the Brady list? <laughs> well, it, it does help, and it's all relevant. It's all on on point. Um, the challenges, and this is where my being a software engineer comes into play, is is I've just taken everybody's domain authority away from them, um, and by that I mean the actual law enforcement organization and the prosecutor's office. So one of the things that we're demonstrating is that there is no list that's official, right? And they're they the the different levels the law enforcement the prosecutors and the courts have all granted themselves discretion so they think that they get to choose what gets disclosed and th then the prosecutors get to choose what they think is material and the judge gets to you know make a further distinction on what's material it's not that's brady is brady has been very clear any information on all individuals that upon whose testimony will be relied. That's it. It gets disclosed. Now, whether it gets used or not, that's entirely the defense's choice in this type of thing. So when you've got these these localized things, and there's some great work out there. One of the one of the best ones I've seen is the uh, the Civilian Oversight Committee over the NYPD worked with ProPublica to do a basically they they created a form and they said everybody that's going to file a complaint file the complaint through the form. It goes to the Civilian Oversight and gets analyzed before law enforcement even gets to see it. Like there's, it's only a split second, but it gives control to the civilian oversight committee, right? And they, they logged something like 250 to 300,000 complaints and they could track it and they could standardize the information. How many were for use of force? How many were for conduct unbecoming? Whatever the case may be. And that was beautiful. But it, and, and granted, NYPD is the largest force of its kind, and you have, you know, it's actually multiple forces as opposed to LASD, which is technically the largest of its kind. But LASD is 18,000 officers, where NYPD over its multiple units is like 33,000 officers. And I love that. So what I did was I just figured out how to do that for every single law enforcement organization in the country in one platform.
right? So if there if there's those organizations out there, some of them might even be pissed at me. I hope not. Um, but if they want to participate in the national database, just just reach out to me. Just go to the Brady list, send me a message. You know, we, we can onboard people, and we've got phenomenal uh, citizens groups. There, there's one group in Oklahoma that, that calls itself Cops Oklahoma. Uh, citizens overseeing police oklahoma they're doing amazing work and and i'm sorry to say they're doing such amazing work because the level of corruption in oklahoma is so spectacular and of course they're directly involved in like this richard glossop case which is a a, a death row case which is just stunningly bad and corrupt um but it's you know we've got to address it and and the beauty is they've got 60 something legislators right now 60, 60 plus representatives in their legislature that are asking the AG and the court and the state Supreme Court and the governor to deal with this case. And it only happens because we're now in the information age and we can now share this information and we can share the broader information of showing the systemic corruption. I, I, I'm going to say it again and again and again. This isn't about just messing with law enforcement officers this is just about getting the wrong ones out of the job i i can definitely speak to that when it comes to talking to prosecutors about um, incidents involving law enforcement i as a long-term law enforcement officer did approach prosecutors about nefarious behaviors by fellow officers and i was pretty much shut shut down every single time i tried to say anything and told to go away so here it is you know you've got prosecutors that are complicit with covering up for uh, officers that really should not be there representing the public, right? And so you end up with this inability to do anything about bad officers there because many times those judges and prosecutors are complicit in making sure that the public do not know about those individuals. And then also going back to the conversation about qualified immunity, I think that if we eliminate qualified immunity and offer cities an opportunity to get a reduction in insurance costs through organizations like League of Cities, we can do that by saying, if you have the following alignments, such as citizen account boards, uh, and then tracking those officers for uh, failures in the past so that they can be appropriately rated, right? And then that means that they would be required to, uh, Johan and I had spoken about this last month, about having officers be required to be licensed, bonded, and insured, right? I mean, if you go home and you you have a problem with your roof and you call uh, a roofer, the state mandates that that person's licensed, bonded, and insured, right? So we should require the same thing for law enforcement. Yeah, that's a yeah. big thing we've been advocating for for a long time. I mean, it's well, the fact that it doesn't exist is insane. And, and in the same sentence, in the same breath, you know, a, a carpenter, or a roofer or something, that's going to be somebody who's voluntarily hired by you. And fortunately, you know, we're kind of coerced into paying our taxes for these institutions. And that, unfortunately, it's kind of uh, systemic and it, it shows, you know, what we're dealing with, what we're talking about right now. So is there any solution that you know of or you could think of, Johan, to maybe hold the, the prosecutors and the court's feet to the fire when it comes to actually providing all this information that's required for the, the Brady list? Uh, is it just oh, more yeah. legislation or is, is no, that? No, 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 no. You don't need any more legislation at all. Matter of fact, um, it, the the best the best reference I can I can give you is uh, the American Bar Association has published a model rule on uh, rules of professional conduct 3.8 and it is the standard by which all the states start now they can adjust their own rules of professional conduct and you'll see like in california i know the guys that actually 
were on the task force that, that adjusted these rules, um, but they're but they've still got teeth. If a if a uh, prosecutor goes into court and fails to disclose anything automatically, right? They're, they're, this doesn't need a motion. It doesn't need a motions hearing. It doesn't need any requests. It doesn't need anything in writing. If a prosecutor fails, they're in violation of 3.8 and they can be disbarred. The problem is the state bar who answers who gains its power and it answers to the California State Supreme Court or, or in any state. The, they answer the Supreme Court. Uh, the state bars are simply not regulating prosecutors. They're, they're simply not looking at it. And and we've got we've got something like ninety percent of our judges were were previously prosecutors. So you know we we we, we actually uh, pardon me I shouldn't say we because I wasn't part of the group that did it. Uh, but the information that's provided and made public actually resulted in a judge being removed from the bench in Orange County uh, because previous to being a judge as a prosecutor they actively and intentionally withheld uh information from a case but you but you're 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 going to see this everywhere it's happening all the time right now we just had an issue where um kim fox the the county prosecuting attorney for cook county in illinois just just proactively overturned uh seven murder convictions and the reason for that was that the information about the officer that had the the uh, homicide detective uh, was proven to be infinitely corrupt, and was the primary uh, statement uh, provider of information and evidence against these uh, individuals convicted of murder. Now, the, there's a problem here. This is a really sticky topic because Brady and prosecutorial misconduct they don't mean that the individual didn't commit the crime. There's no, there's no qualification for guilt or innocence. And there's no qualification. There, there's certainly, I don't say this lightly, you know, the victims are no less dead, right? And, and they were no less murdered. And when I say no less murdered, uh, what I'm, I'm not trying to be clever. I'm trying to say it's, it doesn't mean it was manslaughter or accidental death, right? There, there's still a standard of murder. So you've still got victims that have still been murdered and the the prosecution moved forward, right or wrong, and we may never know uh, against the individuals that, that may have or may not have committed the crime. Like it, it's very ambiguous at this point, and you, you you can't you can't actually return to and continue the investigation. We're seeing that right now in Houston as well with uh, Officer Gerald Goins, uh, yeah. who was exposed after the Dennis and Regina Tuttle were murdered in their house based on faulty information that he supplied in the warrant. That's hundreds of people that they're uh, they're now providing that Brady list information. They're going back and reviewing all their cases, yeah. and, and some of them are you know dozens have been freed already, and and hundreds are still waiting. But this is about to hit Los Angeles. Uh, I don't know how to put it better than just say it's going to hit us square in the ass, because we we've once we disclose that that gangs exist in the L.A. Sheriff's Department. And literally this morning, the California Supreme Court, what they're calling the Supremes, uh, the justices unanimously decided that every individual that's a member of a gang automatically goes on the Brady list. Well, that was decided a long time ago in U.S. v. Abel, which is another case that's based on Brady. And it should have been known. And the thing is that if any of the prosecutors in the prosecutor's office, and, and George Gascon's the DA right now, I don't want to put this all on him because Jackie Lacey was the DA before. And, you know, we've got, we're talking over 60 years here um and and the the gangs were disclosed i think in like 93 i mean we had we had sean penn did the movie colors on the gangs and 
in Los Angeles, right? So this has been ongoing. So every single prosecutor in every single case could have, would have, and should have known that there was information to be disclosed about this in Los Angeles. And now what do we do with those? What, what One, what do we do with those wrongful convictions? Two, do we have a conviction review unit to go to retroactively go back and notify these people that there's exculpatory evidence of an impeachment nature in the officers that are those statements. Three, are we nailing the, the prosecutors that could have, would have, and should have known this information existed? Four, are we doing a conviction integrity unit because the judges knew it too? Also, what about all the people that actually did commit the crime and other cases, you know, you could have child rapists and murderers freed because, the, you know, based on the fact that they didn't disclose yeah. this all previously. Because the system wasn't doing its job. The system got lazy. And what's 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 worse about this, and, and this is the thing that drives me nuts, and, and I wish I could you know, I, I, I take that back. I do not wish I could get deeper into the cases because it's incredibly depressing. Um, when a person like a software engineer like myself looks at this, I'm trying to say, okay, how do we make the system efficient? How do we actually make the system work? Like I, uh, maybe I'm naive or whatever, and I still want to believe that the system can work, that there's still a reason to not completely abolish the whole thing. I've got friends that are abolitionists. I can't get myself all the way there. Right. But, but when you have prosecutors that go, it's too much work for me to look at whether or not this officer is honorable or whether or not there's any misconduct records or the union says, we're just not going to let you look. How do you, how do you have any faith in that system? So uh, my effort was try to say, okay, guys, you know, don't do 20 hours of work on every misdemeanor, but you know, click a button and, and just look at the information that you're supposed to know is there. And if there's somebody in law enforcement leadership, cause it's not going to be the, the, the street cop, right? It's going to be in leadership. If there's somebody in prosecutor's office that's making a policy. If there's somebody that's a, a presiding judge that's deciding that it's simply okay to just ignore this stuff, those are the people we need to identify. Those are the people we need to get rid of. Those are the people we need to not only not support, but we need we need to actively be removing them from office. And unfortunately, this has been going on, if you look at it from a socioeconomic perspective, for multiple generations. You can actually count a generation as about 15 years, you know, and, and if you go back to uh, his last name was Han, I forget his first name. He was the guy that in 2009, when they when they mandated this automatic disclosure, he he was the DA in Los Angeles County and he got clever and said, well, we're going to have a board and they're going to decide who goes on the list and all this stuff. And and then they just didn't do it. And then the next 15 years they said, well, they didn't do it. They, they haven't gotten in trouble. So we're just going to continue for it. Now we got this next 15 years where they don't, they don't even realize that these prosecutors, I don't think even realize that they actually have an obligation. You know, it's, it's that far gone because it's uniform. It's, it's policy. And, and their policy does not trump the SCOTUS decision. I don't care what they say or what they think. It simply doesn't. You know, and, and the basis of Brady is what? Fair trials? We, this doesn't even need to be a left or right issue, right? This isn't Democrats or Republicans. If we can't have fair trials, what are we doing? I mean, that, we're going straight back to the Bill of Rights now. I'm not, I don't even need to go back and wave the flag. I'm just saying... You know, the Bill of Rights is is based on fair trials and these prosecutors have chosen to just ignore it. It's so, integrity. Yeah, absolutely. He heaven forbid we have some character and some honor in this world. 
And, and so I spent, I'm telling you, this platform was not a lot of time or energy or anything else. It took me six weeks to build it, you know, and I just knocked it out. And I said, okay, I, I proved that it can be done. There's no excuse for it not being done. And now use it. Matter of fact, I even made it cheap. You know, if, if the state of California signs on, they, they only have to pay $25 a month as a subscription for each one of these agencies to have their own account. They can have as many people. They can enter as much data as much needs to be disclosed. Don't worry about the tech. I'll take care of the tech. I'll take care of the servers. I'll keep it up and running. I've got a whole team here that, that you know, we're not going to get hacked by Russia. The, all the information's you know, available anyway. It's a transparency issue. It's all transparent. You can see everything we've got. There's nothing there's nothing to argue about. Just use it. That's Man, yeah, you've really touched on a bunch of things I, I want to talk about. One thing that's crossed my mind though, in the summer of twenty twenty, we saw the global protests after the George Floyd incident. And uh I, this is kind of zooming out a little bit, but I kinda of wanted to get your perspective on it. Have you noticed any type of shift or like more participation at all when it comes to producing this type of information since those protests? Or has it just been kind of a flat line, the same it was before the 2020 protests? Oh, no. and, or, were those protests effective at all? Did they resonate with our elected officials or prosecutors, the courts at all? Or is that just kind of uh, noise? Let me let me first start with a little bit of a disclaimer. And and that is that... that... I'm sorry that any average individual even has to know that this is obligated. I'm sorry that, that the average person has to go, okay, I've been charged with this or fined with this, or I've got a family member or a friend that's dealing with this or whatever. I'm sorry they even have to know that the Brady List process has to exist. This, this should just be happening by the professionals that are trusted, by the individuals that are elected, by the individuals that choose this as a, as a path and a profession. So I, I'm sorry anybody has to deal with that. That said, the this was around before BLM protests. This was around before the death of George Floyd. This was around before all this. But look, look at everything that's coming out, right? Uh, we've got officers now pleading guilty without even going to trial in the Breonna Taylor case. We've got, you know, we, we've got video now that we can see. This is the information age. People, every single thing you say or do or act or, or wish for or commit, put it in the context of the information age because 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have it. It wasn't possible. All of this would never have been known. And even if it was known, it wouldn't surpass any sort of threshold to to be present in court. And, and so this change has happened and it's happening everywhere. We're seeing prosecutors being given the option to uh, uh, resign and leave office in order to avoid being prosecuted themselves. Um, you, you had, uh, in, in New York, they had 80, 80 prosecutors, not officers, prosecutors that left their job. Um, and, and it was either going to be get out of the practice of law or we're going we're gonna to see you incarcerated for your, for your harms. I think the, what's happened in Maricopa with the district attorney in Maricopa, she needed to go. I'm sorry she was never prosecuted. They, had a, they brought in a progressive 
police chief that, you know, maybe self-recognized as progressive. And then a guy that's doing great work down there, Dave Viscoming, is an amazing individual on this topic. He's way better at at the investigative journalism than I am, and I'm not even a journalist. But they got the, uh, the progressive police chief forced to retire because that even though she was improving things, it was 400 days before the average officer that was supposed to be on the Brady list actually made it to the Brady list. And then the prosecutor's office wasn't retroactively notifying anybody. I'm telling you, you're going to, you're going to see, uh, uh, Hennepin County is going to be paying some, some civil rights settlements that are unreal. Massachusetts had, uh, Annie Dukin, who was, a uh, uh, a lab tech for the crime lab in Massachusetts that resulted in 31,000 cases being overturned. The problem was that, that the time period that she was committing the illegal acts plus the investigation and then the negotiation before she actually agreed to plead guilty, every single one of the 31,000 had been through the system. They'd had the collar, they'd paid the penalties, they, they'd been incarcerated, whatever the case may be. And then when they get overturned, it's not with regard to guilt or innocence. It's only it's overturned because of the, the prosecutorial misconduct. But I haven't heard of a single, well, that, that's, that's getting too deep. But we're about to have the same thing here in Los Angeles, where we're expecting now that the California State Supreme Court has, has identified that every officer that's a member of a gang will immediately go onto the Brady list. Now you've got the prosecutor's office. It's got to go back and do a conviction review unit all the way back on all of those cases. Can you imagine the number of cases that, that means? You know, we had the city attorney down in San Diego that, that, that refused to even send a, a prosecutor to court on these infractions. And they're just handing they, San Diego is a quarter the size of Los Angeles. And they were they were issuing three times as many infractions and traffic violations. And it's because it was just a, it was a cash cow. They were just taking the money in. It was going into the general fund. Everybody knew about it. All the prosecutors were on board. All the officers were on board. All the judges were on board. And I can't even say all the judges because when it actually became an issue, the judges did the right thing and stepped up and and started dismissing cases. So, like, judges are some of the most important people in my book, and I want them to do their job. I want them to do more. I want them to get that get that out there but the the these gangs i mean we're talking we we're, we we're fairly certain we've got over 300 members of gangs out of the 18,000 i think that number's low i think it's closer to 3,000 right if you look at the number of and that's speculation because they haven't disclosed anything officially but if they actually disclose it officially and the number's big whatever the number is these are career officers like we're, we're talking we actually had the uh the chief of staff for the sheriff on the stand under oath admit to being a member of a gang uh, how many cases do you think that one officer is affected in, in their career to be the essentially the number two person in in the arguably the largest uh, law enforcement organization in the country? Ha, somebody tell me how to unravel it because I don't know. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Did wasn't there a case that they actually beat one of their fellow officers to death too? In, oh no, um... that was training. Oh yeah, right. yeah. Yes, oh. yes, yes, they did. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be training. Yeah, but they were they were they were uh, they were actually 
um, training were on hazing. how to deal with citizens, right? A blood in, blood out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and he, then he died under, right? I, but I mean, that could have been a gang killing. You know, we don't know. <laughs> oh no, no, no. We know. We we don't know. The families the family straight up accused him of it. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. wow. I mean, I, didn't I, know you know, I don't know wow. that that counts as evidence. Is you know, it's the accusation from the family saying it was a hazing issue based on the gang. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no one's been held responsible for that at all, right? No one's no one's been no. charged with and a the, crime. And the budget's gone off as an accident. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy, man. So, like in 1963, right? That's when the that's when this case was decided for by SCOTUS, and then it became a requirement for prosecutors to do this. Is is there no legal ramification? Isn't that isn't that illegal? Is that doesn't that constitute a crime? Like, is how? No. No, it doesn't. Okay, it doesn't. It does. It doesn't until New York passed that that deal. And there's there's a couple other states, I believe, New Jersey and Massachusetts, and a couple of others, that are that are considering that level of prosecutorial misconduct to be criminal actions. And it, it certainly should be, and it certainly could be. Um, I, I I wouldn't have a hard, I wouldn't call that a stretch by any sense of the imagination. But like the San Diego thing, when we discovered that the the city attorney had actually created a policy that the prosecutors don't even need to go to the trial, much less respond to evidentiary requests. That's even the policy was issued in 2017. And the number of issues that the the number of uh, instances in which it had been applied is something like three to 400,000. That's insane. The fact that you could, that the prosecutor could have exculpatory uh, information knowing that the defendant is innocent and then they refuse to provide it. And that innocent defendant goes to prison for maybe their life. The fact that that's not a crime is mind blowing to me. It's well, like, all right, so it's a little different. In the in, in the example I gave you, we were talking about infractions, right? And and so infractions are like I don't want to hyperbolically go to murder or something. Okay. But if you want to go hyperbolic to murder, then all you got to do is you go back to Oklahoma and you look at uh, somebody like Macy. Uh, Macy was the AG and he's had 50, he, he's deceased now, so sorry to speak ill of the dead, but he's had 50% of his capital murder cases overturned. 50% for, for, for prosecutorial misconduct. And that's why this Richard Glossop case is going on in Oklahoma right now. They've scheduled this individual his fourth date for execution. And they've actually, they've called in, I think, the Innocence Project. They've got a big firm from up in Oklahoma. They came in and they reviewed the case. And they're like, how in the world would any sane group of people decide that this individual is guilty? He wasn't present. They're trying it under, you know, uh, felony murder. The individual who's not on death row that they've already convicted of this um, is the one that's trying to pin it on him in exchange with the DA in order to get the the needle out of his own arm. Uh, you know, it's it's just it's it's so unbelievably obviously corrupt and misconduct that this is why I say it's got to come down from the courts. The courts have got to step up and take responsibility for ensuring the fair trials and it has to be proactive it cannot be passive any longer it's it's this passivity of the judges of saying the system will work itself out combined with the the federal courts now have refused to they've shut down habeas corpus from state trials to where you can't bring in a new piece of evidence into the body of evidence uh, at the federal level uh, if, if it was a, a state case it's absolutely atrocious and you have you know, Innocence Project went in and did a study in Texas. Mind, mind you, first, Texas did a study of Texas, and they came out and said, yeah, well, we studied 1.3 million cases, and we found all three of the cases where there was prosecutorial misconduct, so we're all good. 
But then Innocence Project goes in and just does death row in Texas, and they find reversible prosecutorial mis- reversible error resulting from prosecutorial misconduct in a third of the cases. Now, hmm. forgive me, I'm I'm not a I'm I'm not a snowflake here. I actually am pretty much comfortable with, with uh, uh, capital cases and and the death penalty. If the process is in place, if the mechanisms are right, if, if the things actually be done, being done properly and it's not, it's plainly obvious that it's simply not the, 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 the process is not happening. We've got a situation. If you just look at the courts as a whole, only two percent of cases are going to trial anyway. And ever since about 1970, you're right that, that Brady was decided in 1963. I'm not sure exactly what it was that, that shifted this sort of tipping point. It was a it was a multiple facet thing, but it, it has to do with the war on drugs. It has to do with cash bail. It has to do with plea bargaining, which all all that kind of started in the early 70s. And it's just that the system cannot do its job. It literally cannot offer trials to anything that even remotely resembles a reasonable percentage of those individuals who might just plain be innocent, right? They might actually just have a claim of actual innocence and the court can't do it. They, they cannot do it. If we went up to 5% of cases going to trial, the court's resources would absolutely be eliminated. And that's why I do some of the work that I do is that we can't just keep doling out. We're over 50% of our federal budget to the military and over 50% of our state, county, and local budgets to, to law enforcement. And that's without including the, the courts. So the idea of just saying, oh, we're, the courts need more money in order to do their job, that's not an acceptable outcome, right? Or the prosecutors need more money in order to actually investigate things. Not acceptable. Oh, law enforcement, crime's on a surge. No, it's not. It's on a 30-year low. Everybody's just gone through a pandemic. Yeah, is there is there a spike? Sure. We're still in the safest time we've been in in 30 to 50 years bar none. There is no reason for more police officers. There is no reason for more equipment. There is no reason for more IRS agents. There, It is a boondoggle. And, and the people have the ability to stop it. We just need to be able to see the evidence. I, I grew up in Missouri. I'm a show me guy. Show me the evidence. Show me the data. Show me this. And the courts have avoided this for a long time. And we're just not taking it anymore because if we can get that data, I can, you know, me and there's thousands of people like me. I, I, you know, I appreciate your compliments and everything else. I promise you there are tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people that can do what I do worldwide. There are at least tens of thousands in the U.S. that do this. We can get that data. We can demonstrate what's working and what's not working. We can we can show how to affect recidivism. We can show how to affect re-entry into the community. We can we can stop all this nonsense. What we can't do is afford to just keep this momentum going. You know what? I think one of the first steps, and we've talked about this for years, is having those uh, alignments for citizen account accountability boards at every single law enforcement agency in the country, right? And that should spread to those prosec- uh, prosecutors' offices because when it comes to 
we don't have direct line to a judge, right? They're insulated. They have that protection around them through those uh, state attorney's offices. And many times state attorneys are, again, complicit. And I'm speaking from personal experience when I talk about these things. So I'm not just saying it as some sort of conspiracy theorist, right? I've dealt directly with uh, nefarious state attorneys, assistant state attorneys, prosecutors, you know, sometimes even uh, public defenders that are being coerced by the prosecutor's office. We have to have these citizen accountability boards at every level so that we can bring the transparent conversation to the forefront. And to go back to what you said, Jason, that you were asking, did you notice a shift in 2020? I definitely noticed a shift, okay? I noticed a shift. I was still a law enforcement officer in 2020 and I noticed that shift. And I started having a lot more conversations with the general public about misconduct from law enforcement officers. So I think people are really trying to rise up and have their voices heard. And many of us that are considered whistleblowers or truth tellers out in the environment are trying to head up these conversations, which is exactly why I reached out to Johan when I saw that he was, um, you know, instrumental in setting that site up, the Brady List site. So I reached out to him because I wanted to be able to be a a force in the beginning to be able to get people to come forward and start reporting these incidents. There's a lot of people that are really upset about things that are out in the community, whether it be that crooked judge, prosecutor, or officer, but they need to come forward and start putting that information out there. They need to put it into the Brady list so that we can all effectively have that information at our, at our fingertips because knowledge is power. Absolutely. In fact, I was actually going to ask you, Officer Jody, um, besides the community oversight boards, like, is there any other solutions you could kind of envision as a former law enforcement officer to, yeah, like hold these people's feet to the fire? You know, I mean, if it's if it's the courts and they're, you know, complicit, if they're incompetent, whatever the excuse is, or just too busy or whatever, you know, how do we how do we hold their feet to the fire? How do we get them to actually do their job? Is there any take on that that you have? Yes, I think that when it comes to the lack of teeth in these misconduct boards across the U.S., there's a lot of misconduct boards for whether it be an attorney or, uh, you, you know, that's working in the court system. I've filed uh, misconduct things against law enforcement officers and prosecutors, and guess what? Their buddies are on the boards, so they end up clearing them. I've literally had people tell me on these misconduct boards, oh, uh, the public has no interest, like literally quote unquote on the phone and in a letter telling me the public has no interest and they clear them without even so much as a smack on the hand, nothing. So there's there needs to be more teeth in these punishments against uh, prosecutorial misconduct because without having any kind of criminal charge on that prosecutor, it's just like the officer that doesn't get in trouble, right? You, you have these prosecutors that take cases uh, with an affidavit by a police officer that has lied on the affidavit. The prosecutor knows that, continues forward with that action against the defendant, and now you've got somebody that is not maybe necessarily innocent of a crime, right? That's not what I'm talking about. It's just they're padding that crime and they're going against that that defendant without proper uh, defense, right? I mean, that's against the constitution. That's lack of due process. So it doesn't, it doesn't speak to me at all when people talk about, oh, it's just the bad officer or it's just this. No, it's the entire justice system that's working together to cover for one another. You know what? We need to get back to the basics and it's all about integrity. 
if you do the right thing, whether someone is watching you or not, then we will not have these conversations. We don't need a Brady list then. We don't need to have teeth to charge prosecutors for misconduct. Just do the right thing. It's not that hard. <laughs> Good point, Joey. I, I go even just a little bit further, which is kind of cool. Um, it's it's election season, right? So you've got all these folks, uh, you know, and, and I'll name names. Uh, George Gascon, who's an individual who I like and support it and do support. And I like a lot of the changes that he's brought about. Uh, but one of the things that, you know, he, he got the endorsement from the Democratic Party and from BLM, and it was based, one of his campaign promises, one of his most fundamental promises was that he was going to disclose these gangs and he was going to disclose the Brady list and he was going to make it public and everything else. Well, he's coming up for a recall and he hasn't done any of that. So I, I'm not letting him off the hook. I like what he did and I'm not looking to swing back in the other direction because Jackie Lacey was an absolutely atrociously bad district attorney. Like she, she set records at how bad she was as a district attorney. Um, I mean, mass incarceration, California is, is straight up the number one mass incarcerator in the world. She combined with uh, the, the chief justice, Tani Cantiel Sakaue, who's decided not to run for the position again. Um, they designed this, this is by their design. So they, they are not winning. They are not coming back to office. And George needs to understand he's going to be held accountable by the voters, um, not just by giving credit, but but you don't get the promise to disclose and be transparent and then not be transparent. Now we've got some accountability. Now we can see everything that they're not doing. And it's also why I created an account for every single law enforcement organization in the country, because now we know exactly who's not publishing their list. Now we know that every prosecutor's office in this country has, a, has an account and they're not prosecuting it. And then when we get groups like this great group, Cops Oklahoma, um, to, to actually start digging into the records and disclosing the information that the prosecutors and law enforcement are not doing, we doubly get to see that these individuals are not fulfilling their obligations. Man, Johan, before we came on the podcast, you said that uh, you weren't very good at articula or speaking or whatever. And uh, man, I, I got to say, I disagree. You're uh, very <laughs> articulate You're, and you make this information like very palatable. And um, it's exciting, man. It's it's great that what you're doing. Um, I've, Thank you. I'm so glad our, our listeners are going to absolutely love this. We're uh, we're kind of rounding the one hour mark here, which is uh, where we normally wrap it up, man. Would you mind like giving our listeners um, maybe some information on if if you if they could help or how they can get involved or how they can you know help bring this maybe awareness to their to their state? <clears throat> you know, yeah, sure, I'd, I'd, I'd be process. happy to. Um, you, you can find the website at giglio-bradylist.com or because we've completely dominated Google, just give Google Brady List and any agency or any state or any county or whatever, you will find us. We're not hiding. Um, the biggest thing I can tell you to get involved with is talk to your politicians, talk, talk to every last one of them. And again, this is not a blue issue or a red issue. This is not a left or a right issue. This is everybody's got to have fair trials. Um, I hate to say it, but the, the, the FBI rolling into Mar-a-Lago has, has gotten the concept of due process on, on everybody's talking point. 
And unfortunately, we see spikes every time we see a, a, a public shooting. Every time we get a video that goes that goes public from an officer's body cam that's doing something they shouldn't do, it goes out there. Just know that there's a solution. Know that we've got to be organized. Know that we've got to standardize the information. We've got to hold these people accountable. And and I'm going to make sure that the system stays up and available and is used. And uh, it's it's just we've got to do it. We've got to do it as a nation. I agree, man. This is this has been an eye-opening podcast with uh, especially the fact that this isn't a crime. That's a that's mind-blowing again to me, man. This should totally be illegal. That would be my Christmas gift to myself if I could see <laughs> every every state in this country adopt the idea that prosecutorial misconduct at scale is criminal. It certainly should be. The fact that it isn't is criminal. Yeah. Officer Jody, would you like to give any uh, any last words here? I am going to 100% concur with what Johan just said, and that's that it takes the people, right? If everyone's unhappy with the system, which clearly we all are, then take that time to go on to the Brady list and put in that report about that person that you saw, whether it was that judge that you dealt with in your case that lied against you or that prosecutor that did something against a family or friend a member or that officer that, you know, and, and, and I, when I'm saying to make a report, I don't mean it to be something small. It, it, this needs to be something that you have definite knowledge, understanding, and proof of, okay? We don't want to flood the system with things that are just really not uh, what we're looking for, but take the time to really invest, even if it's just 15 minutes this week, do something. Don't don't sit there and say you're unhappy, but then don't take action, really, you know? We've got, it takes it takes a village, and, and we all need to step in and, and help. Absolutely. And uh, also, I just want to give a quick shout out to Officer Jody's new YouTube channel. Definitely go on YouTube and check that out, guys. It's growing fast. She's been making uh, videos pretty frequently. So give her some support. Follow her over there. And you can also follow us on all different social media. Uh, If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Also, consider donating or subscribing to the Free Thought Project at our website. Johan, Jody, thank you all so much for coming on. It's been a great podcast here. Thank you. Welcome. Man.